0: Chapter 4, Part A of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Evans. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Low. Chapter 4, Part A. Geographic Distribution kinds of distribution the distribution of life on earth has three aspects two of which are distributions in space and one in time of course every organism can be considered from all three points of view but a clear comprehension of each can only be obtained by treating them separately and in order these three distributions are known as follows in space geographic Horizontal or surficial distribution, bathymetric, vertical or altitudinal distribution, in time, geologic, durational distribution, geographic distribution. The distribution of life over the earth's surface is worldwide, as no place is so forbidding as to be entirely without its flora or fauna the dense tropical forests the bleakest mountain the scorching heat and drought of the desert the devastating cold of the polar regions each has its quota of inhabitants living out their lives as best they may closer study however reveals the fact that the distribution of life is by no means a uniform one and aside from differences in fauna due to climactic or other causes there are peculiar instances of isolated distribution thus for example africa has elephants antelopes and great apes such as the gorilla and chimpanzee in its fauna while brazil with very similar environmental conditions has none of these but instead possesses the taper sloths and prehensile tailed monkeys the tapirs themselves are found in central and south america and again in the malay peninsula and sumatra a curious instance of discontinuous distribution explicable only by assuming that the american and malay tapers are the last survivors of a widespread race whose intervening representatives have been blotted out again it is seen that the fauna of great britain and japan which are separated by thousands of miles are very similar whereas in bali and lombok two small islands in the malaya archipelago separated by a strait only fifteen miles wide the animals are much more unlike thus it is evident that the dispersal and distribution of animals is governed by laws which are far from simple to understand them thoroughly the zoologist must trace out in detail the exact area or areas inhabited by the several species genera and larger groups of animals And this process to be reliable must be based upon a true and natural classification of the animals themselves the latter can only be attained by a due consideration of the theory of evolution or descent with modification as generally understood at the present day with this must be intimately associated a knowledge of extinct forms and their distribution in time and space and this again depends upon an acquaintance with the extent and relative position of the various fossil-bearing strata which build up the huge series of sedimentary rocks dispersal of animals necessity the struggle for existence brought about by the rapid rate of multiplication of all animals and the consequent scarcity of food within a given area renders the dispersal of animals imperative Not only is this struggle between members of the same species, but between allied species or any sorts of animals whose needs are sufficiently similar to induce competition. Again, gradually changing climatic conditions, which render the old home no longer suitable, impel migration, where migratory roads exist. Otherwise, gradual extinction is often the result a study of the distribution of fossil animals such as the elephants or horses gives evidence of repeated and world-wide migrations which probably occurred as often as opportunity arose the extension of geographical range seems therefore to be a prime necessity in the case of the great majority of organisms barriers topographic barriers such barriers as high and extensive mountain ranges limit the distribution of many terrestrial forms and in general are more effective if the mountains are more or less parallel with the equator as in europe and asia here we find a marked difference between the species occupying the northern and those occupying the southern slopes this is notably true of the great himalaya range in northern india which rears its mighty summits far beyond the limits of perpetual snow on the south we have hot moist places of india with a very distinct tropical fauna which is in many respects resembles that of africa north of the barrier conditions of climate both in temperature and degree of moisture are entirely changed and with them appear animals with some notable exceptions of a totally different sort more nearly comparable to those of europe in the new world where the mountain chains in general run north and south their influence upon animal distribution is vastly less, and in no case do they form the striking boundaries between zoo-geographical realms as in the case of the Himalayas. In many cases, says Gadau, the fauna is the same on either slope of a mountain range, and they act rather as equalizing or dispersing factors, especially when they extend from north to south witness the andes owing to which ecuador and peru bear a great resemblance to the central american fauna and differ from the tropical parts of south america the mountain ranges in the western united states do exert a certain influence however principally through their control of humidity The winds blowing in from the Pacific are laden with moisture, but as they reach the mountain uplift they are deflected higher and become cooler, which causes the precipitation of the moisture in the form of rain. On crossing the barrier, the winds are practically moistureless, and, as a consequence, aridity of climate prevails east of the mountains, producing conditions ranging all the way from dry plains to actual desert this of course has its profound influence upon the character of the vegetation and consequently upon plant feeding animals and indirectly though to a less extent upon carnivores in north and south america the animals are only influenced in their range directly by conditions of temperature and rainfall One important topographic barrier in North America is that which limits the Mexican plateau and again forms a line of demarcation between faunal realms. The plateau itself, though extending well into the tropics, has a temperature climate, and the fauna is similar to that of the region to the north and northwest. From the edge of the plateau the land drops away abruptly, and conditions rapidly change to those of a hot, moist tropic region with a corresponding change in the plant and animal life, which is now that of tropical Central and South America. Climactic Barriers While degree of heat is of prime importance in limiting animal dispersal, Heilprin thinks that its influence has been largely overestimated. Notable instances in proof of his contention are the tiger and elephants. The former, while its normal home is in the hot districts of India, and the indian archipelago is not restricted to those regions nor to such as have similar climates for it is found in the elevated regions of the caucasus and the altai chain, and in the himalaya range its footprints are not infrequently found impressed in the fields of snow it is a permanent inhabitant of the cold plains of manchuria and the amur region prowling about even in winter along the icy margins of the aral sea The northern range of the tiger extends to about 53 degrees north latitude, as far north as Lake Baikal in Siberia, or Lake Winnipeg in Canada. Elephants also do not seem to suffer from cold, provided a sufficient amount of water be obtainable. Hannibal, who invaded Italy in 218 B.C., took a herd of war elephants of the African species over the Little St. Bernard Pass which has an altitude of seven thousand one hundred seventy six feet elephants also range in altitude in the kilimanjaro region of eastern africa from sea level up to thirteen thousand feet which must give a marked temperature range the indian elephant also appears to be equally at home among the cool mountain heights and amidst the hot and jungly lowlands the influence of temperature is much more marked in limiting the distribution of cold-blooded animals or those which depend upon external temperatures for the maintenance of their bodily heat than in the case of the warm-blooded forms thus the amphibians and reptiles are tropical and temperate in their distribution rapidly diminishing in numbers toward either pole salamanders are limited to about the sixty-third parallel in europe while frogs and toads Are absent only from the higher latitudes north and south. The absolute northern limit of amphibian life coincides rather closely with the somewhat erratic line of zero degrees centigrade, that is thirty two degrees Fahrenheit, of annual mean temperature, a little to the north of which line the ground remains permanently frozen below the surface. The surface crust, which thaws during the summer, engenders an abundance of insects as food supply, but its freezing down to the icy bottom makes hibernation impossible. Reptiles on the other hand are more restricted. The crocodiles are tropical or subtropical in their distribution. The northern limit of the turtles is fifty degrees, while of the lizards there are few beyond forty degrees, and at sixty degrees the order entirely disappears snakes have the widest range but only three species in europe are found beyond fifty five degrees and but one the common viper extends to the arctic circle the terrestrial vertebrates of the frigid zones are therefore entirely birds and mammals whose constant temperature and efficient bodily clothing enable them to maintain an active existence where the reptiles and amphibians would be reduced to a condition of torpor this torpor can be endured for a while and the period of hibernation or winter sleep on part of temperate cold-blooded animals is a normal manifestation but it has its limits and cannot extend over too great a sum total of the animal's life the presence of fossil reptiles or amphibia in the rocks of a given geologic period is therefore highly indicative of past climatic conditions lack of moisture controls the distribution of animals and plants principally where it is of a sufficient extent to produce desert conditions for while many forms are marvelously adapted to withstand the harshest drought for others it forms an insuperable barrier the most notable desert barrier is that of the sahara which forms the area of demarcation between the ethiopian or african zoo-geographic realm and the eurasian so efficient is it that such mobile forms as the deer which are found in the americas from the straits of magellan to the arctic and over the entire eurasian continent except the arabian peninsula and the adjacent area to the east are totally absent from africa except in its extreme northern part from the straits of gibraltar to tripoli Of course they are absent from the long, isolated Australian region, except where they have been introduced by human agency. The Sahara in Africa and the Arabian desert are impassable to such forms. Animals like the amphibia, which require moisture for their larval life and have no great migratory powers, find even a small arid area an insuperable obstacle. The increase of moisture renders a region unsuitable for certain forms of life, in part due to possible swampy conditions which may make the area impassable to creatures not adapted to them. Swamp dwelling generally places its mark upon the animal as in the splay feed of certain Permian reptiles. It is doubtful, however, whether even extended morasses act as a very great barrier to dispersal increased humidity does have a marked effect secondarily in affecting the vegetation the spread of insect life and the like to be described later vegetation barriers the profusion of vegetation depends very largely upon the climactic conditions mentioned before temperature and degree of moisture and its prevalence is favorable to the dissemination of certain types and unfavorable to others the influence of vegetation is both direct and indirect direct in the impossibility of forest living especially arboreal animals crossing regions where forestation does not occur and in forming especially in the tropics so dense a growth of jungle that larger terrestrial animals are incapable of penetrating it thus during pliocene times mastodons of the genus migrated from north into South America over the newly established Isthmus land bridge. But during the Pleistocene, while there were several species of magnificent elephants, euphas and mastodon, in North America, none of them apparently succeeded in penetrating south of the southern limits of the Mexican plateau. The one possible recorded exception is that of an imperial mammoth, Elepcas imperator, the tooth of which has been reported from the lower pleistocene of cayenne french guiana what the conditions were which prohibited the passage of the later elephants into south america while the earlier ones effected a crossing we do not surely know but the presence of a tropical jungle too dense to be penetrated by such huge beasts as these is highly suggestive for bowman says that at the present day the vegetation is impenetrable to an animal as large as a man, without mechanical aid. The lack of vegetation very effectively limits the distribution of certain forms, notably the primates, which with few exceptions are dwellers in tropical forests. Not only do they need trees for their safety and usual mode of progression, but also as a source of food. For the primates, as an order, live upon fruit, nuts, and blossoms as well as upon insects and small birds all of which are products of these forests primates were very prevalent during the eocene in western north america at the close of the eocene period however they became utterly extinct in north america nor is there the slightest evidence of their reappearance until the coming of man the eocene especially during the middle part when the primates were most abundant was a time of subtropical or warm temperature conditions, as the rocks contained palms and bananas mingled with many similar mild temperature trees. With the ushering in of the next period, however, that of the Oligocene, and more especially in the Miocene, the tropical forests gave way to those consisting largely of deciduous trees which could not support a primate population all the year, hence their local extinction this serves to illustrate not only the means whereby the absence of vegetation may limit dispersal but also the way in which food supply limits distribution other illustrations would be the necessity for trees and shrubbery for animals with short-crowned browsing teeth on the one hand and of extensive pasturage of harsh grasses for those with long-crowned grazing teeth on the other each type of vegetation being unadapted to the other type of animal. Vegetation is important also in the case of many insects. Caterpillars, for instance, may be addicted to a certain species of food plant and be co-extensive with it in distribution and unable to exist where the plant does not occur. Conversely, some plants are absolutely dependent upon certain species of insects for pollination, without which they cannot propagate their seeds parasitic insects which depend in turn upon the plant feeders cannot of course exist where the latter do not occur for many parasites are limited exclusively to a certain genus and species of host and this again may be restricted to a very small group of plants insectivorous birds are also in a measure dependent on certain specific insects the limits of whose distribution determine theirs while frugivorous birds or those which like the hummingbirds sip nectar from the flowers are directly limited by the existence of certain types of vegetation thus the whole fauna and flora of a district is bound together by a complicated network of particular conditions and the slightest alteration in any detail may upset the balance of the whole and lead to far-reaching and unforeseen results by bartholomew large bodies of water extensive bodies of water when not frozen form perhaps the most insuperable barriers of all especially to terrestrial vertebrates like the amphibians and reptiles and mammals but not to those which have powers of sustained flight such as birds and bats freshwater fishes are also prevented from migration by large bodies of salt water although certain fishes such as the shad, salmon, sturgeon, and smelt, the Andromedus fishes pass from salt to fresh water annually, while in the catadromous eels the reverse migration occurs. The barrier is effective, therefore, only in the case of exclusively fresh water types, such as the carps and garpikes, catfishes, bowfin, and brook trout, some of which are quite locally restricted. To the modern amphibian, salt water constitutes a most effective barrier, as common salt is poisonous to the amphibian. Even a solution of one percent prevents the development of their larvae. Consequently, seas, salt lakes, and plains encrusted with saline deposits act as a most efficient boundary to normal spreading. But undoubtedly, many individuals have made long and successful voyages across the seas on floating trees. Solutions of lime are likewise detrimental to many species, and it is a general fact that limestone terrain is poor in amphibian life, unless, of course, sufficient accumulation of hummus counteracts or prevents the calcareous impregnation of the springs and pools in meadows. Salamandra maculosa is, for instance, absent in central Germany on the Musulkeek, but it occurs in abundance in neighboring districts of red sandstone or granite nor can the larva be reared successfully in very hard water amphibians are as one would infer almost completely absent from oceanic islands the seychelles new caledonia and the fiji and solomon islands forming island groups exceptional to a general rule another remarkable fact is the very nearly universal limitation of the tailed forms sirens dutes, and salamanders and so forth to the northern hemisphere here the great land masses australia africa and south america are almost if not entirely isolated by the oceans and the small migratory roads left open which have proved sufficient for such creatures as the mammals are inadequate for those inactive amphibians the burrowing sicilians on the other hand are confined to south america and africa with the exception of the seychelles southern india and the east indian islands of sumatra java and borneo all of which are supposed to be relics of an ancient southern continent for whose existence prior to the tertiary period there is much evidence the anura frogs and toads enjoy a much broader distribution than the tailed forms being barred to their overseas migration only from the most remote of oceanic islands. Their methods of dispersal will be discussed later. For some reptiles, notably the crocodilia and marine turtles, the seas, of course, afford no obstacle, the only practical limit to their distribution being that imposed by temperature. Among the most interesting of living reptiles are the giant tortoises some of which have been in captivity for upwards of a hundred and fifty years they are confined to-day entirely to certain oceanic islands the galapagos islands off the coast of ecuador galapago being one of the spanish terms for tortoise and the islands of the western indian ocean namely the mascarines the reunion mauritius rodriguez the comoras the aldebras the amaranthis and the seychelles on the other hand these tortoises are totally extinct on the mainland of south america africa and eurasia their shells are common as fossils however in india europe and north america in rocks of miocene to pleistocene age as land tortoises are drowned within a few hours if they attempt to swim their distribution could not have been accomplished by any overseas journey but must indicate again former land connections over which they could travel their present distribution is also within the limits of the ancient gondwana land mentioned earlier the serpents many of which are fairly good swimmers are incapable of passing large bodies of salt water of their own volition with the exception of the specially adapted sea snakes which are found in the tropical seas sometimes several hundreds of miles from land lizards in their adult condition are as incapable of passing an oceanic barrier as are the snakes but as Heilprin remarks it would appear that in some special way whether as affected by the oceanic currents themselves or through the agency of birds their eggs may be transported to very considerable distances out to sea since this order of animals is sufficiently represented in remote islands where neither snakes nor amphibians have as yet been encountered with the birds as we shall see it is only the flightless forms such as the ostrich rhea and cassowary or the apteryx of new zealand which are debarred from transoceanic migrations for even small birds are carried far on favoring gales With mammals, except those which, like the whales and seals, are especially adapted to marine life, bodies of water of a greater expanse than twenty to fifty miles are impassable when not frozen. Many mammals are, however, excellent swimmers, the jaguar being known to cross the broadest of the South American rivers, while the tiger and elephant, as well as the deer, will all take to the water freely but it is doubtful whether any of them will venture out of sight of land. Heilprin summarizes as follows. Although, quote, it may safely be conceded from our present knowledge on the subject that while many of the land mammalia can affect with safety and even readiness such water passages are most generally to be met with on continental areas none probably would be prompted to undertake a journey across an arm of the sea whose width measured fifty or more miles or even one much exceeding half that extent to these difficulties or impossibilities on the way of dispersion MUST BE ATTRIBUTED THE CIRCUMSTANCE THAT THE VAST NUMBER OF OCEANIC ISLANDS ARE DEFICIENT, EXCEPT WHERE MAN HAS effected AN INTRODUCTION, IN REPRESENTATIVES OF THIS PARTICULAR CLASS OF ANIMALS. THE FINDING OF ALLIED OR NEARLY IDENTICAL FORMS OF MAMMALS, UPON LAND MASSES NOW ISOLATED, GENERALLY POINTS TO FORMER LAND CONNECTIONS WHERE NOW NONE EXIST just as bodies of water prevent the passage of land animals so land masses form barriers to the spread of sea life such for instance is cape cod which separates the relatively cold waters of massachusetts bay from the ocean to the south with a very marked distinction in the contained faunas the isthmus of panama is another case in point while certain relic seas like the caspian contain seals porpoises and other marine vertebrates whose forefathers entered it when it was an arm of the sea their descendants being in turn cut off from the ocean with the severance of communication a species of shark in lake nicaragua is another such zoological exile impurity and lack of salinity of seawater these afford an effective barrier to the dispersal of certain kinds of marine animals such as the brachiopods echinoids crinoids starfishes squids and foraminifera but notably the corals and sponges while there are freshwater sponges they form a very small proportion of the entire number which are extant and none have skeletal structures on the other hand the corals are exclusively marine although Quote, a few are known in brackish and even in tolerably fresh water, unquote. Cilicia rubiola is reported by the Challenger in the River Thames in New Zealand, and Dana states that, quote, upon the reefs enclosing the harbor of Rewa in the Fiji Islands, where a large river 300 yards wide empties, which during freshets enables vessels at anchor two and a half miles off its mouth, to dip up fresh water alongside. There is a single species of madrepora growing here and there in patches over a surface of dead coral rock or sand. In similar places, about other regions, species of pontes are most common." Several species of corals grow at the mouth of the Rio de la Plata. Nevertheless, no stony coral has ever habituated itself to a freshwater habitat. by Grabau, poritis lernosa flourishes in muddy water and australia bowerbanki does not seem to mind mud or sediment or even muddy brackish water growing on and encrusting the stones at the mouth of the mangrove creek australia these stones being covered with mud and slime and washed over twice in the twenty-four hours by muddy brackish water by Grabau. These exceptions, however, are notable, for as a rule all such forms require a water of maximum purity and salinity. Hence it is that extensive coral reefs or sponge growing areas are never found near the mouths of large rivers such as the Amazon, Orinoco, or Mississippi, each of which bears a great load of sediment seaward. The Great Barrier Reef of Australia extends along the eastern shore of that continent for a distance of 1,500 miles, and along the entire adjacent coast the map fails to reveal a single river of importance, although there are a few relatively small streams. End of Chapter 4, Part A. Recording by Don Evans. www.lazuli.com.